Welcome to Slaking Thirst, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. You know, reading through that first reading, one of the thoughts that I had this morning, uh, yesterday morning when I was praying through this, was that if the New Testament was written in order to try and impress and win over early converts, if that's why they wrote it, it seems to miss the mark. And here's what I mean. Because over and over again, you see the New Testament writers highlighting, whether it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, whether it's Luke and his Acts of the Apostles or the Epistles, right? what you see the New Testament writers is they're highlighting the Apostles' Um, and early church leaders, like their foibles, their faults, their failures, they're, they're just so unimpressive in the scriptures. They're just so painfully human. The, God, the, the apostles, uh, they're never prepared. They never have food when they're supposed to have food. They never seem to get what Jesus is saying. They're lousy fishermen. They're never able to catch any fish. They stick their feet in their mouths over and over again. Like, think about um, James and John, the sons of thunder. Lord, do you want us to call down fire to consume them? Like, oh, gosh, no. Like, come on, guys. No, seriously. They send people away that Jesus wants to minister to. You've got their abandonment of him during his passion. You've got Peter's denials. You've got so many of these moments, right? So many of these things. Like, this is an impressive group here, right? From a public relations standpoint, like the New Testament is kind of a nightmare, and that's certainly true of the first reading we have uh, from the Acts of the Apostles today. We hear about Saul, right? Saul, meanwhile, was trying to destroy the church, entering house after house and dragging out men and women. He handed them over for imprisonment. What I think is interesting, when Luke was composing the Acts of the Apostles, Luke didn't airbrush out this chapter of Paul's life. He could have, right? That's the prerogative of the author. You select some things, you set aside other things. He could have set this whole chapter of Saul being this murderous person wanting to destroy the church. He could have blotted that out. But instead he seems to highlight, like shining a spotlight on his violent anti-Christian past He highlights the fact that he was there presiding over Stephen's death. He highlights it again in this reading. There was devout men who buried his body, making a loud lament, right? He shines a spotlight on it. Now, here's the question. Why? Why? I think it's this. To illustrate, to shine an even brighter spotlight on the transforming power of the risen Christ. To illustrate the transformative power of the gospel. To show that, like... To show what God is capable of. To show that what Jesus says in the gospel, like he really meant it when he says, I came to do my Father's will, and it's this, that I should not lose anything that he's given me. Like not even a Saul of Tarsus. And if you heard me preach on Divine Mercy Sunday, I preached about, I shared the story of the conversion of Rudolf Hesch, the commandant of Auschwitz from 1940 to 1943, that incredible story of his conversion that on Good Friday, as he's awaiting his execution in Poland, he hears church bells, and his heart is pierced, he's moved, and finally he's softened to a point where he calls for a priest, and the priest that happens to come, the only priest on Good Friday who's available who speaks German is a priest that he spared his life seven years earlier in a random moment 
this Jesuit priest who snuck into Auschwitz because all of his Jesuit brothers got rounded up and they were brought to the death camp. He snuck into Auschwitz to die with them and the commandant finds them, finds him and sends him away. That's the priest that he calls to bring him to bring him home to God. And where was Rudolf Hesch's confessor at the time that the guards found him? He was kneeling in front of the image of divine mercy, of course, right? This is the will of the one who sent me, that I should not lose anything that the Father has given me. They won't be taken out of my hand. Like, this is the absurd love of our Jesus. This is the beauty of our Jesus. This is the beauty of Easter power. This is the beauty of resurrection. He's telling us that nobody's past is so broken, so dark, or so damaged that the love of Jesus can't transform it. It's like there's, there's nothing that I can't undo. I make all things new. I made a universe out of nothing. I can turn you into the most incredible saint. Just give me a little bit of permission. Open your heart a little bit more. So this is for us to have encouragement and hope and to be interceding for people who seem far more lost than Saul of Tarsus. We see in our culture today, right now, the last few days, we heard about the incredible leaked report from the Supreme Court Justice Alito's uh, leaked document. I mean, that we'll set that aside. That's insane that that's happened. But it seems as though they're going to overturn Roe versus Wade. And there are people who are losing their minds. This frantic death cult, people seem to be so upset that there is going to be perhaps less babies killed and dismembered. This is where we have to pray, intercede, and have hope that even people who are so upset at this, that they can, they can be found, they can be converted, they can be brought home. So let us commit ourselves, recommit ourselves to some more intense intercession, prayer, fasting, especially for those Supreme Court justices over these next few weeks. They would be protected and they would actually vote this way. We have a lot of work to do as Christians. We've got a lot of interceding to do. But we can't lose hope. We can't lose hope. Amen.